I don't know, man. Like the way that I look at it is if you're scoring two touchdowns and producing less than 20 fantasy points, something is wrong. And that's what we saw with Josh Jacobs. And despite, you know, only putting up 16 and a half points or whatever it was on a game where he scored two touchdowns, people seem really hype about Josh Jacobs. Personally, I would be selling high if you can get anything for him. Yeah, I'm right there with you. People were victory lapping Josh Jacobs being the best like fifth round pick in fantasy football history on Twitter on Monday night. And it's just like, dude, he had 11 total touches for 40 total yards, had what one catch, played 52% of the snaps and Kenyon Drake played 48% of the snaps and he lost the majority of third down work to Kenyon Drake. And you know, they'll, they'll come at us and say, oh, he was hurt. He was sick, whatever, whatever. The man is always hurt, right? Every single year, of his career so far he's dealt with injuries so it's not a new thing with Josh Jacobs I think I think that's what you get and what you know when you draft Josh Jacobs is he's most likely going to deal with injuries uh, throughout the season and he's just gonna be a guy that is a low floor low ceiling guy that loses 40 45 percent of snaps to a backup running back that is making top 12 money in the nfl like i just don't understand the josh jacobs infatuation that everybody has i mean i I thought he was good coming out and i liked him i'm not gonna front like i I liked him for fantasy as a rookie but last season didn't draft any josh jacobs this season didn't draft any josh jacobs i just don't see the upside with him maybe we're i mean when you boil it down i mean when you boil it down he's a game script to running back we saw it clear as day he had what two targets one reception in this game Kenyon Drake took all of the pass game work had five receptions for 70 yards he was productive with the pass game work and Josh Jacobs is a player who like you said they're gonna say oh he got injured that's why like no Josh Jacobs has three games in his NFL career where he's had 70% of snaps or more he is always going to be taken off the field for a pass catching back and Kenyon Drake's the best one the Raiders have ever had mm-hmm. he is a game script dependent touchdown dependent running back with no upside in the past people game. love that you know though. if, if- I guess, man. Oh, I no, guess. they do. They, for some reason, people just can't see the process behind it. And they just love Josh Jacobs. Like, everything you're saying is valid. And, oh, my God. Jesus. I mean, one thing I learned on Twitter is, is don't disrespect Josh Jacobs because they will come for you. They back. will literally come at you for disrespecting you know any player that they might like whether the process be good or bad and I think fading Josh Jacobs in best ball was good process and I'm going to continue to fade him in DFS as the season goes on because like you mentioned he's just a game script running back a touchdown dependent running back he's going to have what 30 targets on the year with Kenyon Drake there but the floor is low the ceiling is low the Raiders offensive line is terrible and He's just a he's just a bad pick, and I'm sorry if you drafted him. You are not good at fantasy football. I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> you might have to find a new hobby. God, who drafts Josh Jacobs in 2021, bro? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 162 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, 
We're going to be breaking down week two in the NFL from a DraftKings perspective. Going to talk some slate specifics, what Vegas lines are telling us about the week. We'll talk some chalk and, of course, leverage, stacks, long shots, and everything else you need to know to have a good chance at banking a tournament this week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. We also post DFS TikToks every single day of the NFL season. And finally, our Discord channel is open and available to join the link to do so is in the description to the podcast joey how you feeling as we enter week two of the nfl season feeling good you know coming off a dub in week one which is always good gotta try and continue the win streak although it is kind of a busier weekend for me you know just personal life it's my girlfriend's birthday so i will say i'm probably going to play less than i did this week Mm. just because i'm not going to be available sunday to you know look at my lineups to actually grind and maybe make late swap decisions so i'm definitely playing less but still looking forward to the week nonetheless yeah um i feel you that that's truly unfortunate that you're not going to be able to watch football yeah yeah (laughs) definitely can't watch a single game can't watch the patriots game it's a tough scene out here but you know you, you bro you're gonna you're gonna be like the dude in the verizon commercial who's like at dinner with his girl just looking under the table at the phone with the oh games my, on yeah, yeah bro <laughs> i can't i can't say it because she listens to the podcast for you but you know, you know. <laughs> know the vibes well let's get into some slate specifics see what vegas is telling us This, like last week on DraftKings, is a 13-game main slate with nine games early and four games in the afternoon. There are five games with totals of 50 or above. The top five implied team totals on the week, we've got Tampa Bay number one at 32, followed by Cleveland at 30 and a quarter. The Chargers and Seattle tied at fourth with 29 and a quarter, and then Arizona bringing up the rear of the top five with 27.75. Joey, what is standing out to you from a Vegas perspective on this week two slate? Yeah, I think the game that stands out to me the most and is going to stand out to everybody is that Cowboys Chargers game with a total of 55, which is just absolutely crazy. I've I've never seen a total that high personally. Uh, so everybody's going to play that game. And then everybody's also going to play that Titans Seahawks game and the Vikings and Cardinals game, which both have totals over 50. And I think the four o'clock games are going to be the games that people target on this slate because those are the highest totaled games for this week two slate so the afternoon games are are going to be nuts is what i'm saying yeah all all four of the afternoon games have totals above 50 man just imagine all the people who are going to be winning tournaments you know right before 4 p.m rolls around (laughs) ggs just don't don't even look at at what you're winning until four o'clock because i mean these games are going to be crazy a lot of points are going to be scored. And I mean, that, that like you said, the Dallas Chargers game, it opened at 52. It was up to 55 within a couple of hours of the opening line, which is insane. It's it's up to 55 and a half right now. It's just continually getting bet up, which yeah. is pretty crazy. But I mean, I think for good reason. And, you know, as we get into the player discussions here, we're going to be talking about pretty much every player in this game because they're all in play. Yeah, and every player in this game figures to have a decent amount of ownership as well. So we're going to have to figure out a way to leverage this game in in tournaments which we'll talk Mm -hmm. about later but this is definitely going to be the game everybody gravitates towards absolutely let's get into some of the players that people are going to be gravitating towards talk about 
some players we're expecting to be chalk at this point early in the week. And we can start off with running back. I think the interesting thing and the decision point a lot of people are going to have to make on this slate is which of the mid 6k running backs are you going to be playing in your lineups? Because a lot of them are projecting well, a lot of them figure to be heavily owned. We've got Najee Harris at 6,300. We've got Zeke at 62, the lowest price he's ever been on DraftKings. David Montgomery and Chris Carson, both at 6,100, figure to have a decent amount of ownership. How are you sorting through all of these players in, in that range? Yeah, there's a lot of running backs in play in that mid 6K range that you mentioned. I think Najee Harris stands out to me, and I think he will come with decent ownership. You know, he's a running back that played 100% of the snaps, which is unheard of in this day and age in football. He was number five in routes run out of running backs uh, with 22 routes run. Although he only had three targets for a 9% target share, I think that goes up as he gets more accustomed to the NFL. Obviously, with Najee Harris, it's all about whether he can be efficient or not behind that terrible Steelers offensive line. But I think it's a solid matchup for him at home against Las Vegas as a home favorite. So I like Najee. I like Zeke who I think might come with some ownership. I didn't think he would, but it's looking like he might get ownership in this spot and he's 6,200. And I think his role is just way too good to not play him at that price tag. Cheapest he's ever been on DraftKings. Yeah, I mean, I I was hoping for him to be solid leverage off of the passing games uh, in in this Chargers-Dallas game. It doesn't look like he's going to be a sneaky play, but just because of the amount of other players in this range, we also didn't uh, mentioned Daryl Henderson, who had a great snap rate. I think it was above 94, 93. Yeah, yeah 94. 94% for Daryl Henderson, number two in the NFL behind Najee. Yeah, so, you know, at 5,700, he's going to be a very popular option. So I don't think that Zeke is going to be stone chalk, especially considering the game environment. I think that you can definitely still go there in tournaments. I think he's in consideration for cash. But man, gone are the days where people just would look at the game logs and then, you know, fade players who did poorly. You know, Najee Harris coming in as one of the highest owned running backs after putting up 5.9 DraftKings points last week is a little bit shocking to me. I was I was hoping again that we'd be able to get a little bit of recency bias discount on that, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case either. Unfortunate because when I first opened the salaries for week two, he's the guy that kind of stood out to me at the running Mm -hmm. back spot just way too cheap I think for his role in that offense as they're not going to play another running back and I and I think that's very valuable that he's never going to come off of the field at 6300 so looks like he might be one of the highest owned players on the slate Daryl Henderson I I think is a great play as well he's 5700 played 90 plus percent of the snaps and then Chris Carson I I think could have some ownership at 6100 at home against Tennessee it's a solid matchup for him Rashad Penny got hurt again go figure so Chris Carson (laughs) is the guy and he also had a decent snap rate last week he played 78 percent of the snaps which was top six in the NFL for the running back position this is a guy that's going to be heavily utilized in that Seahawks offense as the RB1 so I don't mind uh, going to Carson either and you know he'll, he'll probably give you three to four catches I think yeah he had three catches in week one and the situation is really strong for him at 6100 I think you're getting value on a player who's a home favorite in the second highest total game of the week Seahawks implied team total like I mentioned 29.25 that's really strong and he was 11th in routes run at the running back position week one uh, with 17 so I think Carson is definitely cash game viable Joey the talk of redraft and you know all the waiver wire articles that we saw at the beginning of the week was Elijah Mitchell Mm -hmm. 
following his strong performance in week one. He's only 5K on DraftKings. Do you think that he's going to be coming with ownership this week? I do. I don't think he's going to be like Stone Chalk how Raheem Mostert was, but I don't think you're going to get him lower than 10% in cash or tournaments for that matter. Um, you know, he he's cheap. He's in a great offensive scheme with Kyle Shanahan. We know what he could do with running backs. I do think there is still some uncertainty there just because we know he is capable of just using more than one running back, right? We we know that Trey Sermon is most likely going to be active, and he was their third-round pick, so I expect him to have a decent-sized role. So am I expecting Eli Mitchell to have 19 attempts or, or 20 touches again? Absolutely not. But if he gets 15, 14 touches, I think he does have some value, but it's going to be hard to go there if he has ownership on DraftKings this week, especially if he's not catching any passes. And I don't think he did in week one. So Yeah, and I mean, just for me, I wouldn't be shocked if Trey Sermon came out and led this team in touches, right? Like, that's the type of shit that Kyle Shanahan does. Yeah, like, no, I, it wouldn't you know, shock me expecting it? No, but it wouldn't be shocking at all, so... <laughs> yeah. He he's going to be part of the rotation. It's gonna it's gonna be him, Eli Mitchell, and Jamichael Hasty as the three running backs, and I, I think it's just gonna be an open competition to see which one comes out ahead. And I do think Eli Mitchell probably is the RB one right now. I mean, well, not probably he is the RB one, and he's got the leg up on those two guys. And his prospect profile is actually pretty good. Like he's a fantastic athlete. He was great in college. I don't know how he fell to the sixth round just from looking at his prospect profile and he he might fit well into that Raheem Mostert role of just you know an explosive running back that's going to get 15 to 16 attempts per game but not factor into the receiving game much I think he'll be fine in that role but Trey Sermon could definitely carve out a decent size role as well so we'll definitely have to wait and see how this shakes out this week but I would be fine fading both of them in cash and tournaments yep I I agree I think that just in general going up against Philly's front seven on the road is going to be a little bit more difficult of a matchup than the Detroit Lions (laughs) moving on to quarterback unsurprisingly I think a ton of the ownership is just going to consolidate around Dak Prescott and Justin Herbert Dak coming off a week where he threw the ball 58 times for 400 yards Herbert was right in that range too with 47 pass attempts Both of these guys could realistically throw 50 plus times again in this spot and I think are rightfully going to be popular DFS options. Dak Prescott, 6,800. Justin Herbert, 67. Yeah, both Dak and Justin figure to be two of the highest owned quarterbacks on the slate this week. You know, not much really needs to be said. You said it all. Uh, So I like them a lot this week. And then I think Josh Allen will be popular as he got a price decrease of $400 from week one, 7,200 going on the road in Miami. And I don't know, it's going to be hard to, to play Dak over Josh Allen just because we know the ceiling that Josh Allen presents on a weekly basis, especially if he's throwing the ball 51 times. And then he also ran the ball nine times for 44 yards in week one. And yeah, he, he had a bad week, but the opportunity is still crazy high for Josh Allen and and the ceiling is just crazy high. So right now I think I'm leaning Josh Allen as my preferred cash game quarterback, but I obviously wow. love Dak. I, I love Justin Herbert this week. And I think Jalen Hurts is still in play if you really need the salary. If it comes down to it, I think he's still underpriced at 
6,500 for how high his floor is due to his rushing upside. So those are the four quarterbacks that I'm considering, but Josh Allen, I think is my clear cut number one quarterback this week. I think that, I mean, that's a bold take, but I, I mean, I don't think you're wrong in that. We, there's nothing about this team that suggests they're going to revert their style of play calling to anything other than being pass heavy. So, you know, Allen again is going to be in the mix for 50 plus pass attempts as he is every single week. But just from a game environment standpoint, I, I, I prefer the, you know, back and forth potential of the Chargers Dallas game to the Buffalo Miami game. That game has a total of 48, which is seven and a half points lower than what we've got right now in Dallas LA. So, I mean, just from a potential shootout perspective, I like Dak and Herbert versus Allen and Tua. And considering that you're getting salary savings going down to those two guys, it's just, it's just hard for me to not be all in on that game and load up my lineups with as much potential exposure to all aspects of that game as we can get. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And I, I might end up there in cash games as well I just think $400 for Josh Allen to get to his ceiling I think is good in in cash but yeah the game environment in Dallas and LA is definitely better than the game environment with Buffalo and Miami but I'm not really ever too concerned about potential game environment with Josh Allen you know last season he went to Miami and put up 34 points so I'm not too concerned about it I think his ceiling is still higher than those guys especially if he's running the ball a lot but obviously it's fair if you want to go down there and I I probably will too so yeah at the wide receiver position again I mean we're just going to keep hammering this a lot of the popularity is going to be from this Chargers Cowboys game, Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, CeeDee Lamb, all figure to have quite a bit of ownership in week two. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so, right? I mean, Amari Cooper had 16 targets. CeeDee Lamb had 15 targets. Keenan Allen had 13 targets. So all these guys are underpriced for their roles in their offenses, and you're getting you know, a shootout game with two defenses that aren't great. Yeah, these guys are, are going to be stone chalking. I, I think rightfully so. Keenan Allen has 7K. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. CeeDee Lamb is the most underpriced receiver on the slate, in my opinion. Amari Cooper's right up there with him. So it, it doesn't really get get much more simple than this, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, there are seven wide receivers priced higher than Keenan Allen, and I don't think any of them have a target projection as good as his. And, you know, you could say the same for Cooper. And like you said, CeeDee Lamb at 6,400 is absolutely absurd. I'm jamming him in. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) Some of the other wide receivers that I think people are going to have interest in, Cooper Cup, after smashing in week one, had 10 targets, went seven for 108 and one appeared to be Matthew Stafford's primary target in the passing game. Also, Jamar Chase as a value, a lot of hype coming around. People did the full 180 after getting off of him, getting on him, and and I think that everyone is on Jamar Chase right now. And Cole Beasley as well stands out to me at 4,400, coming off of a week where Beasley had 13 targets as well. Yeah, those guys are definitely viable, all all of the guys that you mentioned in cash. If you want to pay down to Beasley, I like that. You know, he's like the clear-cut Bills wide receiver, too, and he should come with some ownership. Jamar Chase is 5K, and, you know, after week one, he looks to be the Bengals wide receiver one, but obviously one week is still too early to make any definitive conclusions about that situation. So I don't know if he is, but 5K seems good for him. And then the mid-range wide receivers, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Allen Robinson, I think are all guys that should have ownership this week. 
you know, they're not going to be chalk, but they're not going to they're not going to go on their own. Right. They're they're way too cheap for their roles. Allen Robinson had 11 targets in that week one game against the Rams and he's 6,200. Robert Woods only had four, but we know he's the wide receiver, too, for a Rams offense that looks like they just want to throw the ball every fucking play. So I I love the mid range this week, and I think that's probably where you're going to want to live in for your three wide receiver positions in cash games and and I think you stay in the mid-range for tournaments as well which we'll get to yep I I agree with that as well Joey for the tight end position who do you think people are going to be consolidating around this week yeah so I think it's relatively easy and it's between two guys uh Noah Fant at 4200 and Tyler Higby at 4100 I think we'll see a majority of the ownership in cash games this week just two guys that have great roles in their offenses that are very cheap you know Tyler Higby played on 100% of the Rams offensive snaps in week one and had six targets so he has a solid role and if he gets you 10 points like that's really all you need right and then Noah Fant Mm -hmm. is 4200 saw eight targets Jerry Judy's out now Cortland Sutton is still returning from his ACL injury and and needs to get some more playing time for him to really be a factor so Noah Fant might be the number one option for the Broncos in a great spot against Jacksonville so those are easily the two tight ends that are going to be chalky and I think rightfully so. I, I agree with that. My lean between the two at this point in the week would be Noah Fant. I just think that he's a significantly better player than Higby, and I think that the target projection's a little bit better. You know, Stafford could easily spread the ball out, whereas with Jerry Judy leaving, Noah Fant is arguably the top option in that offense until Cortland Sutton is back at full health. So Noah Fant just really stands out to me at his price tag right now. I think that he is the go-to option in cash games against a soft Jacksonville defense. Darren Waller will probably be popular this week. People always find at least one tight end to pay up for 7,600 coming off of an incredible 19 target game. At 7,600, Darren Waller will be in lineups as well this weekend. Yeah, Darren Waller should have ownership, but I think he'll be number three to Mm -hmm. Fant and Higby. So you definitely don't have to go there in cash games. I mean, I personally wouldn't, even though I, I love Waller and his target projection from a weekly basis is just absolutely nuts but it is a tougher matchup short week going on the road traveling across the country into Pittsburgh this is obviously you know a down spot for the Raiders coming off of a crazy win just everything could go wrong this week for the Raiders and everything is pointing towards them not being as good as they were in week one so I'm fine with fading Waller in this spot obviously he could dust us but I'm not too worried Mm -hmm. about it at 7600 you know we're paying down. Obviously, we're paying down. I mean, if it was his birthday and a revenge game like it was in week one, maybe it'd be a different story. But <laughs> Absolute smash spot for him in week one. Like, there was no way he was failing. Yeah, absolutely no shot. Let's get into our thoughts on tournament strategy, leverage, stacks, long shots. Joey, how are you planning on getting leverage on the field in week two? Yeah, so... I think one of the best ways to get leverage is to play guys that, you know, might have dusted you in week one, right? So so go back mm. to the well, essentially. Okay. Uh, Kyle Pitts fits that. Marquez Callaway, who got a price increase, fits that. Who's 4,200 now. Same spot, same target, share opportunity, but nobody's going to play him. Ronald Jones, who I know you brought up to me a little bit ago, is 4,800 at home. 
home in a great spot against Atlanta. Nobody's going to play him after, you know, scoring negative points on the week in week one. So I think there's just multiple players to capitalize on for week two because everybody already has, you know, their their preconceived notions about some of these guys and whether they're good or not based on one game when in reality, week one is the highest variance week of the season. Anything could, could have happened. So I'm willing to go back to the well with some of these guys. Right. Like it's like everybody has their speculations. Then week one comes around and we think the whole puzzle is solved. But in, in actuality, it's such a small sample. And- and everything is still going to be shifting. Our opinions on these players are going to be vastly different a week from now than they are right now with another full game of information. Um, One of the ways that I want to get leverage is finding players with upside in the most popular game of the week that aren't going to be played at a high rate. And one of them, I think, is Austin Eckler. I think he sort of fits the mold. Um, You know, he was a popular play to some extent last week, had 15 attempts for 57 yards and a touchdown, but no role in the receiving game. We talked about it on our review podcast on Monday. You know, we expect Austin Eckler to resume his role as one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. He actually led the NFL in red zone rush attempts in week one with seven. So he's going to have a lot of high value touches. And at 7,300, I think he just gets sort of lost in sort of a strange pricing zone. Like people are going to be paying down to all those mid 6k running backs that we discussed or potentially paying up to the Camara Cook and CMCs of the world. I think Austin Eckler gets lost in the shuffle and has one of the highest ceilings of any player in that game. I'm also going to be looking to get off the tight end chalk and finding the tight ends in this game, whether it's you know, Donald Parham at 0% ownership or either of the Dallas guys with Gallup out, they could absorb some more role in the, in the passing game there. Yeah, I definitely like that strategy, especially with Austin Eckler right now. He, he's projecting for decent ownership, but nothing too crazy. So I think you can get leverage there. And, you know, I'm looking at Roto Grinders ownership right now, and this is probably wrong. I'm assuming it has to be wrong. Just, just, you have to hear this. Mike Williams, they have projected at 0.8%. Point eight percent Like under, under 1%? Under 1% projected right now. But that has to be wrong, no? I mean, if he's 0.8%, I could tell you he's in all my lineups. <laughs> that would be insane leverage coming off of a 12-target week where he looked absolutely dominant, put up 8 for 82 and 1. I, I don't believe that at all, though. I, I think that he comes in around maybe 10%. Yeah, I would I would assume he's, he's somewhere between 5 to 10%. <laughs> I I really don't know what Roto-Grinders is, is thinking with that projected ownership. But, you know, there are multiple guys between him that are going to be heavily owned, like Cooper Cup, CeeDee Lamb, Allen Robinson are all guys that are going to be chalk. So people might forget Mike Will. I don't think he'll, I don't think he's going to be under 1%, but that, like I said, that's what they have projected for him. And that'll probably change come Saturday. So make sure you tune into our live stream on Saturday to get all of our updated thoughts and opinions. Uh, But yeah, that that could definitely be a situation to exploit if that stays the same throughout the week. Yep. Stacks, Joey, who are you stacking up this week? And and give me somebody other than Dak and Herbert. (laughs) Um, beyond the obvious here. Yeah, I think a, a stack that I like for this week is an expensive stack, which would be Josh Allen and 
and Stephon Diggs, right? Josh Allen is projected to be the third highest owned quarterback on the slate, so you're not going to get him at a crazy ownership. And then Stephon Diggs is under all of these guys. If Josh Allen is throwing the ball 40, 45 times, we know that Stephon Diggs is the clear-cut number one guy there. He had 14 targets in week one. He had 150 air yards, which was fifth in the NFL, and he had an ADOT of 10 yards. So this is a guy that could just absolutely break the slate at any given moment in Stephon Diggs. So I love stacking them up. And then, you know, you got some cheap bringbacks. You got Will Fuller, who's 4,800, and we know the ceiling with Fuller is very high. Jalen Waddle is 4,500, who had a pretty solid game in week one against the Patriots. So you got some cheap bringbacks, and you get a high upside stack in, in Josh Allen and Diggs on a week where nobody is going to play them. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, God, Josh Allen, like like we've talked about, one of the highest ceilings at the position, if not the highest ceiling at the position. And I think you do definitely get him at an ownership discount. Will Fuller at 4,800 as a bring back is absolutely absurd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the ceiling is just so high for Fuller at any price tag, right? Because just the type of receiver he is, he's that deep downfield threat that could break for a long touchdown any single week. We saw it obviously a lot last year, but that was with the top three quarterback in the NFL. You know, he has Tua now, so we'll have to see how that plays out, but I'd be willing to target Will Fuller at 2% ownership this week. Absolutely. Yeah. He's going to definitely get looked over coming off of a week where a week one where he was suspended. People aren't going to be, you know, just, he's just not going to be on the radar. Every wide receiver in this like 45 to 55 range is going to go under owned besides Jamar Chase. And some of these guys are in good spots. So absolutely. I mean, I love T Higgins leverage off of Chase. I love going back to Corey Davis or Devante Smith paired up with Jalen Hurts. Like you mentioned earlier, there's just a ton of good value in that range. A stack that I'm going to be targeting this week goes directly back to the point that you made in playing players that burned you in week one. It's tough because he looked god awful in week one, but I'm ready to bite the bullet and go back to Ryan Tannehill. This game has the second highest total on the slate. It could easily shoot out, especially if Russell Wilson dots up the Titans secondary the way that we saw Kyler Murray do it. And Tannehill to AJ Brown costs less than both Dak to Cooper and Herbert to Keenan Allen. And I think you're going to get that stack at like a fifth of the ownership that you're going to get the two main stacks that we've been discussing. So Tannehill to AJ Brown, we know the ceiling is there. There are phenomenal bringbacks, whether it be Lockett or Metcalf or whomever you want to take from that Seattle side of the ball, Chris Carson. But yeah, I mean, Tannehill to AJ Brown, I think could be a really under the radar stack if people are afraid to go back after the Titans just completely shit the bed in week one. Yeah, I I definitely like that stack as well, especially since... Since Ryan Tannehill is 6,300. So you're getting, you know, a discount off of some of the top guys. The ownership is, is going to be low, but I think it's good leverage in, in a great game environment, in a game that could easily shoot out, like you said. So definitely like that. Julio Jones will probably be like 3% owned. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there, there's obvious spots to target in this game. You know, whether you stack the Seahawks or the Titans, there's great bringbacks on both sides of the ball. So mm-hmm. definitely like that stack. And I just think from a lineup construction standpoint this week, you know, in cash, I think you're going to want to go with a balanced build. And I, and I think in tournaments, you probably want to go with a balanced build too. I think that is the optimal build route for both cash games and tournaments this week. Obviously, you can get some leverage going up to the top guys since nobody is going to do that. Like for the wide receivers 
or running backs. So if you want, play mm-hmm. Kamara, play Cook, play CMC. Like they're great plays every single week. So that's definitely uh, some spots to get leverage if if the balance build is where everybody goes. But I, I do think it, that is the best lineup construction. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it has the highest ceiling. But if you can nail a couple of like value plays and get CMC in your lineup with under 15% ownership, you could be just straight up sailing to the money. Obviously, CMC put up almost 28 points without scoring a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, you know, dude's in <laughs> midseason form in week yeah, two. Yeah, facts. And I think Camaro would probably be my preferred spend up option, especially mm-hmm. if you get him at lower ownership. I know we didn't mention him in the cash game portion because we don't think he's going to be too chalky in cash games, but he only got a $200 price increase. And, you know, I think it's a good game for him. You know, the, the Panthers aren't nothing to be worried about. It's just, will the Saints blow out the Panthers like they did the Packers, which I, I think is definitely possible. And that would hurt Kamara's upside, but he still had what? 20 touches in in that game or 20 plus touches 23 still saw four targets in a, in a game they won by like 35 points so i love camara yeah. his upside is i think higher than it's ever been because of his touch projection and if nobody plays him this week he's going to be my highest own tournament running back once again yeah i mean i like that call we talked about it on the review podcast that you know people may be concerned looking at the box score and seeing that he only had four targets but that was a 20 percent market share you know winston only threw 20 times they had the game in hand the whole time so yeah if there's a different game script here or even if it's just more competitive than a straight up blowout then Camara should be a lot more involved in the passing game long shots joey who do you got as you know a real sneaky play for the week <laughs> yeah so one longer shot bet that i like for this week would be robert woods who is 5700 you know you get direct leverage off of cooper cup who is going to be chalky this week, you get a $300 discount. And I think you're going to get similar target shares between both of these guys, but just at, you know, half of the ownership with Woods. He's not going to be 1%. He's not going to be 2% owned, but if he's 7, 8% owned and you can get overweight in that and GPPs. I I love doing that. I think this is a perfect game for Matt Stafford and the Rams wide receivers to just eat. And like I mentioned earlier, it looks like the Rams just want to throw the ball every play. You know, Sean McVay finally has a quarterback that can run the offense that he's been wanting to run ever since he came into the NFL. Jared Goff just you know, he, he wasn't capable of making the, the big throws down the field, the long plays. So I think that kind of hindered Sean McVay's play calling ability. But now the playbook is finally opened up and Matt Stafford looks good, man. So love Robert Woods this week, love Stafford. And I just love the Rams guys in general. Yep. I, I definitely think that's a good point. And just you know, you mentioned it being direct leverage off of Cooper Cup. I also think it's leverage off of Daryl Henderson, who's going to be pretty highly yep. owned. So that that's a that's a good one. One of mine is maybe a little shocking if you're a longtime listener of the podcast. I took a pretty heavy stance against him in best ball, but Emmanuel Sanders to me at 4K flat is really interesting. I think he pairs well with, you know, an Allen to Diggs, make it a double stack, throw Emmanuel Sanders in there. Gabriel Davis missed practice on Wednesday with a lower body injury. And Emmanuel Sanders was sixth among wide receivers in air yards in week one. You know, he was just getting a lot of looks downfield. He had eight targets. I think he could be heavily involved in this spot. Miami's going to be focusing on trying to shut Diggs down. Beasley's going to be a little bit more popular and you're getting a discount to go down to Sanders, especially 
especially if Davis misses, then I think almost all of the deep shots are going to be Emmanuel Sanders. You really only need one to hit at 4K, and he could absolutely smash that at, at the 4K price tag. Fits in with Allen's stacks. So give me a little bit of Emmanuel Sanders in week two. <laughs> then, no, you you love Dusty Emmanuel Sanders, age 34 years old. That's your boy now. Yeah, that's my son. He he had an 18.63 A dot in week one, one of the highest <laughs> in the NFL. Yeah, I, I love you know double stacking him with Diggs and, and Josh Allen, and he's going to come at 1% ownership, maybe less. So I don't hate the call, especially if, it, like I said, if you're playing Josh Allen, he's he's a good stack with, with Josh Allen, especially if Beasley has ownership, which it looks like Cole Beasley is going to be the highest owned Bills wide receiver this week. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I like it. Um, I was going to say Darnell Mooney is a long shot, but something just came across my Twitter that that I think we have to address here. Reportedly in Denver, Teddy Bridgewater asked the team to move KJ Hamler's locker directly next to his. KJ Hamler said he's like a big brother. They've developed a serious rapport over the past couple of months. What do you think about that? Locker neighbor narrative kj hamler to step up in the absence of jerry judy he's 3800 he's a stone burner dropped what should have been a clear-cut touchdown he's leverage off of noah fant the jacksonville defense is hot garbage i mean 3800 might have to get some kj hamler exposure this week no bully (laughs) yeah and he's gonna come in at at one percent ownership i mean he could definitely pop off for like two big touchdowns i i think and he's he's going to have like a very good role and he was like one of the best waiver wire pickups in redraft this past uh, day i don't hate kj hamler as a long shot dart throw for week two especially you know fant is going to be high on so you get leverage off of fant you're not playing teddy bridgewater but you could then correlate hamler with let's say like dj chark who actually had a lot of targets and a lot of air yards in week one he was number two in the nfl in air yards with 199 uh, on 12 targets so if a couple of those long deep shots connect to chark you got a solid correlation with hamler and chark at you know, 2% combined ownership. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. And, you know, if the Jaguars don't switch up their play style, we could see a lot of pass attempts. This could be a paced up game uh, for sure. Yep. Do you have another long shot that you want to get out there? So my other uh, favorite long shot would be Will Fuller. I mentioned him earlier, Mm -hmm. but he's a good correlation with the Bill stack. And I think I'm going to find a lot of my tournament teams have a bill stack this week love will fuller at 4800 i'm a will fuller stan i just love him man you know his ceiling is so high the price tag is is so cheap and i think the upside is there and he'll probably step in honestly and be the dolphins wide receiver one i think yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised at all jalen waddle looked good but he's gonna have to step aside for the king yeah that, that's straight facts but the target's in Miami, are, I think, are going to be spread out a little bit between Waddle, Parker, Gasicki, and then you got the running backs that get a couple targets as well. So target projection probably isn't great with Will Fuller, but all you need is, you know, one long touchdown and you're sailing to the money. So 
I don't hate them in large field stuff. Yep, I, I agree with that for sure. Let's move on to the final segment of the show, Best Bets. And, you know, it was a rough week for us in week one. I, I hope that we can bounce back here. Yeah, so I went one and two with my bets. Took the Eagles spread, which was an easy winner, but the over got killed because the Falcons were just horrible. Um, So tough scene. And, and then the Titans also shit the bed. But I'm fully transitioning away from betting sides and totals. That's not what we should be focusing on with this segment. What we should be focusing on moving from this point forward is prop bets because that is the market that can be easily exploited, right? You know, you can use your favorite projection service, whatever, Roto, Grinders, ETR, whatever, whatever. A lot of them put out great projections and you could just find the discrepancies between the lines that these sports books and, and these DFS apps are putting out and the projections that these fantasy analysts that grind are putting out. And I think the edge is just so massive with player props just because books use them as promotional tools, right? They're they're just things to get people to play more at a certain sports book so they can eventually transition to betting totals and sides and, and whatever. But the the props are just so good. So all of my bets moving forward are, are going to be props. I have a bet for week two for the Thursday night game. So if you're listening to this, you could tell this. This isn't my official pick, but I have Sterling Shepard under 57 and a half re- receiving yards. Daniel Jones under 231 and a half passing yards. Taylor Heineke under 239 and a half passing yards and Adam Humphreys over two catches and then my favorite bet so I'll give one out is Alvin Kamara over four catches on Sunday that is literal easy money I'd bet my I'd bet my life savings on Kamara getting over four catches (laughs) they have to be right parlays on price on price picks yes yeah, prize picks has been hit and different. I mean, I'm I'm fully addicted to it after a week of using it. So far, the the first bet that I placed on the week was Justin Herbert over 290 and a half passing yards. I correlated it with a Daniel Jones under of 17 fantasy points. I mean, I think that the Giants could just get absolutely obliterated in this game against one of the premier defenses in the league. So, I, I mean, I would be hammering as many unders as you could with the Giants side of the ball. But another under, and, and this can be my official one here that I'm going to throw out, is Jalen Waddle under. 51 and a half receiving yards. I think that, you know, he had only four receptions in his debut game. He went over, he had 61 yards, but with Will Fuller being reintroduced, I think that that could get scaled back a bit. And I'm, I'm going to actually throw out a second one here that I see looking at the board. I'm going to go over on Emmanuel Sanders, 40 and a half receiving yards. I think you jump on that early in the week. I think he's a good bet to beat that regardless of Gabriel Davis. If Gabriel Davis misses, that line is going to skyrocket up. Like we said, he's he was in the top six for air yards at the wide receiver position in week one. I like Emmanuel Sanders over 40 and a half receiving yards and Jalen Waddle under 51 and a half. Yeah, I like those bets. And I just want to say in terms of props in general, you kind of want to be leaning towards unders. Unders are just so much more profitable uh, than mm-hmm. betting overs, especially in NFL. And since 2017, and this is courtesy of bet the prop, unders have hit at a 62.3% win rate oh, since 2017. Just because there, there's more ways to a player busting 
than them succeeding, right? Like you can get injured during the game. Uh, you could just have a bad game. It could be a bad matchup, whatever, whatever. So there's just more paths to failure for a lot of these wide receivers, especially like wide receiver three lines that you can get like Adam Humphreys or Deami Brown, you know, some guys that aren't going to play a lot of snaps. I mean, those two guys might, but you know, just, just for example, wide receiver threes and wide receiver fours aren't going to play a lot. So you'd want to be leaning towards unders and you know the the crazy thing is is if you bet the running back unders since 2017 you would have won over 60 percent of your bets if you just blindly bet like didn't even look didn't even give a fuck just went and bet the under you would have made a ton of money if you were betting like a hundred dollars on each of the bets like you you would have won five figures plus like Hmm. crazy so what you're saying is that we're smashing running back unders this week Josh Jacobs under 49 and a half rush yards. Uh, uh, well, if, if you want to smash the under, it's the tight ends under. Tight end unders over the last couple of seasons have hit at a 60% rate, which is more than any other position. Just because we know with tight ends, and that's kind of with the pay down strategy as well, like in DFS, a lot of these guys aren't the number one, aren't the number two, aren't the number three options in their offense, right? These guys are are overlooked and are touchdown or bust guys. So they're hardly ever going to hit their 28, you know, 30 yard receiving props. So 60% rate for tight end unders, something to think about. I like that. I like that. That is good information. All right. That is going to be it for episode 162 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrion DFS. For more week two NFL DFS content, check out our YouTube channel, the DFS Dose. We post multiple videos per week. Joey's got a GPP video up right now. I will have my cash game breakdown on Friday. And this Saturday, we will be doing a live stream to revisit the slate, give our updated thoughts and opinions. So make sure you check that out. That was really fun to do last week. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.